This is Queer We Are. As 2024 approaches, will we soon see a gay adaption of Mr. Rogers or maybe a queer Sesame Street? You know, at one time, the idea would have been ludicrous. I think back on my favorite cartoons and books as a kid and the possibility of, say, Judy Jetson being a lesbian. Well, I wouldn't even understood what that means. And there have been many jokes about Thelma and Scooby-Doo being a lesbian over the years. But what about non-binary? And maybe Shaggy is trans. And as far as books, how about two dads as the parents in the Berenstain Bears? And maybe the cat in the hat is pansexual. I mean, yeah, I'm joking around a bit, but we have come a long way. I mean, in recent years, Disney has been trickling queer people in their stories a little at a time. And hell, when Coco Peru was my guest, we discussed her lending her voice to Dead End Paranormal Park a cartoon with a transgender teenage boy as the lead. I never thought that day would come. I knew we were making headway, but I didn't know how much until I watched some episodes of Queer Kid Stuff, where the host is my guest, Linz Amer. Linz opened my eyes to the tremendous number of queer books for children being published. I mean, I knew young adult novels had come a long way, but not for the little ones. I'm now enlightened and understand Linz will have no shortage of LGBTQ children's books to read anytime soon. And damn, that makes me smile. Linz is striving to make children's shows that discuss what transitioning means, gives an intro to intersexuality, and even that uh, unicorns are queer horses, which I believe. And you know what? They're not striving to do it. They are doing it with a goal to go big and reach children far and wide. Given Lynn's enthusiasm, I think they'll do it. And to top it off, Lynn's book, Rainbow Parenting, is out now, and it's a parent's guide to raising queer children, and we're only a few months away from the release of their children's picture book, Hooray for She, He, Z, and They. Learn more about the great things they're doing, and you don't have to go anywhere to do it. Because you know why. I'm Brad Shreve, and my guest is Linz Amer, and queer we are. Well, Linz, we have come a long way since Heather has two mommies and daddy's roommate back in 1991, wouldn't you say? I definitely would say, for sure. I was looking at the large number of queer books for children that you have on Queer Kids Stuff books page now, and I gotta say, I'm mm -hmm. impressed. I'm suppressed and I'm surprised. Yeah, there's a lot that's in that space now. I've been aware that there's a wave of young adult queer books, but I wasn't aware of so mm -hmm. many for, for the younger kids. Yeah, I feel like it's been over the last five or so years and like the last maybe like three to two to three years like in particular when i started queer kid stuff in 2016 there really wasn't a lot but now it's just like i can't even keep track of how many there are at this point one thing i gotta say that really surprised me and i'm pleasantly surprised is not just that there's such a large number of them but your current book that's out rainbow parenting your guide to raising queer kids and their allies was published by St. Martin's, which is a division of Macmillan. 
Mm-hmm. And then your upcoming book next year, Hooray for She, He, Zay, and They, is being published by Simon & Schuster. Yeah. Those are some pretty big houses. Yeah, I I, I think so. <laughs> Did it catch you by surprise? Um, No, because that's what I was working toward, for sure. Um, My literary agent and I started working together, and originally we wanted to sell the picture book. It took a really long time to get there, but we ended up selling both books in the same year in 2021, the parenting book in March and the picture book in November. And we were we were shooting for those large publishing houses. We want to make sure that traditional publishing is taking these topics seriously. And uh, I have a very particular specialty and expertise. And uh, I hope that that kind of uh, that kind of like legitimacy lends itself to it. And, um, and that's not to say that there aren't like a lot of incredible indie and like especially queer owned and trans owned presses that are making just like fantastic books in this space. Um, but I think, you know, Simon & Schuster has a lot of resources and I'm really excited to um, see them, you know, put their money where their mouth is a little bit with this picture book that's coming out. Well, I think it's fantastic and no need to, no offense to those that independently publish. I independently publish. I chose to in the beginning, but there's no denying there's a certain legitimacy that comes from going through a publishing house. So I'm I'm thrilled that yours did and it does give it some legitimacy, which is well-deserved. So good on you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So you have your YouTube series, Queer Kid Stuff, which I look forward to discussing mm-hmm. and your podcast, Rainbow Parenting, and then the books that I mentioned. But I want to start with your background. Mm -hmm. What called you to produce videos and books for children as well as the tours that you do? Yeah, for sure. Um, I was an undergrad and I was studying theater and I thought, you know, I was going to go into musical theater. I was going to be this big Broadway person like that was going to be my path. And I went to school and didn't get cast in a single thing because I don't think anybody knew what to do with this like confused queer trans kid, right? I mean, I didn't identify as all in all those ways at the time. Um, So I think maybe my confusion (laughs) showed through. Um, But I was doing that and I was frustrated with the space that I was in. And then I kind of, uh, the program that I went to had a really robust um, theater for young audiences program. And I really just kind of fell in love with children's storytelling. There's something that's like really universal about it and super approachable um, that just kind of resonated with my sensibilities. I'd always loved Pixar and Disney growing up. And I mean, I still uh, one of my favorite shows is Steven Universe. So animation and and kids media has always been kind of a part of my life. My mom's an early childhood music educator. (laughs) Maybe that was an influence. Um, And then at the same time, I was taking gender theory and like queer theory and gender studies classes and like starting to figure out parts of my identity just at the very beginning of that journey. And I kind of like looked at these two spaces that I was starting to occupy and develop interest in. And I wondered why they couldn't speak to each other. So I started kind of as I was, you know, honing my artistic voice and figuring that out kind of on the in the theater side, the performance side, I I wanted to kind of bring the LGBTQ plus topics um, into that. And I found there just really wasn't anything. And when I did try to do uh, work in that space with in, with those topics, I came up against a lot of gatekeepers. Um, that was uh, very frustrating for me. So uh, I 
kind of I was living in London uh, during grad school and was a little bit homesick and ended up watching a lot of American YouTubers, uh, queer YouTubers in particular. And I kind of discovered that there was a lot of education in that space and a lot of kids watch YouTube. And I kind of wondered, okay, if a way I could get past these gatekeepers is by just, you know, uploading something directly to a place where kids are, where people are used to educational content, um, that could kind of be a fix. And so I grabbed a couple of friends and a camera and we shot the first episode and uh, people liked it. And uh, now it's kind of turned into a career somehow. <laughs> so that's a little bit of the origin story. I think it's funny that you said that you couldn't find work because it almost seems to me like you didn't even give it much time. I mean, it wasn't long after you graduated that you started your web series. And before then, right after graduation, you and some friends, you co-founded Blue Laces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the nonprofit theater company that I started with some college friends. Yeah. Yeah. How did that come about? Because that's pretty exciting. Right out of college that you did that. Or were you still in college? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was right after. Um, that was part of a we so we started a student led theater group when we were in undergrad at Northwestern. Um, it was just like me and a couple of the other um, theater students. Um, we were making multi sensory theater for. Uh, kids with de developmental disabilities, so mostly autism spectrum, and it was just really fun. I've, <laughs> it's interesting. I've, um, I've since kind of like figured out that I'm neurodivergent myself, um, some sort of combination of ADHD and autism. Um, so I'm kind of like, uh, I really enjoyed doing that work and I really enjoyed experiencing it, and now I'm kind of like, okay, it's because it was like made for brains like mine. But at the time, I didn't identify that way. But um, yeah, we just really enjoyed doing it when we were in college. And we, you know, wanted to do it outside of college, we wanted to continue. And so we started this nonprofit company um, that unfortunately, I I'm not a part of the group anymore. Um, left that a couple years ago, because queer kid stuff just kind of took over my life. But it was it was really fun while I was doing it. We had a great time. Well, it made me laugh because it's so theater people, because it makes me think back to the days of the old Mickey Rooney movies. Hey, kids, let's do a show. <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, no hope barred. Let's, let's do a show. Let's start this whole theater company. And there you did it. Yeah. Now you've done the same thing with your web series and, and the other things that you're doing. Yeah, Queer Kids stuff honestly started kind of around the same time, um, maybe like a few years afterward. But I, I do think that like there was... Um, uh, in like the theater program that I came up in in undergrad, there was a really like entrepreneurial spirit about it of like, we're just gonna grab some people and we're gonna grab a script and we're gonna do a show and then it goes up in a week and then it comes back down in a week. And uh, I think that just kind of like, let's make something happen attitude really helped us with the with a the theater company certainly but also was like when i had the idea for the web series i was just kind of like okay let's just do it <laughs> let's try it <laughs> let's put it together see what we can make of the resources that we have and uh it was it was scrappy and shoestring certainly but uh it turned into a thing that's like that millions of people have um uh, enjoyed and it's I think it's changed people's lives and um, I get messages from people all the time about how it's um, helped their kids understand their gender identity how they used it to help explain um, topics to their grandparents um, lots of different things and we need more let's make things happen kind of people I think so <laughs> Queer We Are is sponsored by Help You Better 
Join the billions seeking online therapy who have reached out for a helping hand and... <laughs> nah, just kidding. Who needs to hear another podcast advertising those guys? This show is brought to you by the new Queer We Are Shop, the LGBTQ plus lifestyle emporium. Dozens of items available from t-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, wall art, and so, so much more to come at QueerWeAreShop.com. Support this show with an LGBTQ-owned business that will allow you to let your colors fly. A convenient link for you in the show notes, QueerWeAreShop.com. Where did the idea come from and when did you say, okay, I think I'm going to do a YouTube series and so forth? The idea really came from like trying to merge those two things, the children's storytelling and kind of like queer theory, um, gender studies 101. Um, I was watching at the time a lot of American YouTubers and was really looking at um, uh, channels like Crash Course and Crash Course Kids. Those are run by the um, the Green Brothers, Hank and John Green, and they do a really um, incredible job of making um, just educational videos that are super engaging and entertaining, but also very informative. Um, and I really admired that model and um, uh, thought I could use kind of like my own skill sets as a as a theater maker um, to do something similar, um, obviously less highly produced. I did like a prototype um, uh, shoot for queer kid stuff um, back when I was in grad school. It's terrible. It will never see the light <laughs> of day. We shot it like in the lobby of one of the buildings at the university that I was at. And we had to like pause every like five minutes because the elevator would come up and down. <laughs> um, it was also like uh, really boring because it was just me talking like talking head straight to camera. Um, I hadn't come up with the character of Teddy yet, which is um, based on it's it's my actual childhood like stuffed bear that I have had for I don't know <laughs> 32 years of my life almost and um, the show needed to have a conversation um, because you know with me just talking to the camera I was trying to talk to kids right but there wasn't an opportunity for them to engage with me so I kind of came up with this puppet character um, to be able to have that conversation to be able to have the child's voice kind of right there and so um, the kind of initial episode of the series is what does gay mean and that came about because I just I was just kind of like having this idea and going on the internet and like seeing what was around and what kind of stuff existed already. And I just Googled what does gay mean? And the things that came up were a dictionary definition that included the derogatory term of uh, derogatory definition of the term uh, gay. And um, there were like a couple of resources for parents and educators, but there was nothing that I could find at the time that was directly um, addressing kids and talking to young people about these topics. So uh, yeah, that's like kind of how it came about i was actually going to ask you if that is really your childhood teddy bear yeah yeah <laughs> it is i i can't tell you how many stuffed toys i had i remember my dad saying you know brad has to, to my mom brad has way too many stuffed toys at his age i, I don't i was pretty old <laughs> I, I wish to god i had any of them today so the fact that you still have yours i am so envious yeah, it's a it's the it's the one that's really stuck around. I think I had a couple others, but Teddy was always kind of like my my like best stuff friend, which is, you know, branding, but also uh, is is true. Well, it's turned out to be perfect branding. Yeah, I think so. So talking about talking to Teddy, when your show started, it was 
your videos were mostly educational and they were important topics. Like, mm -hmm. as you said, your very first one was what does it mean to be gay? And you did what does queer mean? You did a, a four part series on what does L and then G and then B and then T mm -hmm. mean. And then later you actually came back and did intersexual and asexual uh, mm -hmm. myths about lesbians, which I thought was funny because you said they don't all like cats. Etc. Etc. Oh yeah, <laughs> I like to throw in some adult jokes. There's a there's a episode. One of my favorite jokes uh, that we did was, if you don't mind, uh, I did a Pride episode uh, where Teddy and I are talking to two drag queens and we're talking about making our own Pride flags. And Teddy asks if there's a bear Pride flag, and uh, there is an actual bear Pride flag, but uh, that would go a little over Teddy's head, but I, uh, I'm i proud of that joke. <laughs> yeah, my husband knows the bear flag quite well, as, as do I. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they were great topics. But later you switched to what, for, I'd say for the past six months, you did it off and on before, but for the past six months, it's been a steady Teddy's book club. Why mm -hmm. the change? Uh, well, so I actually stopped um, producing queer kid stuff um, in summer of 2019. There were a lot of reasons. There was some bad stuff. We can say that. There was some bad shit that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, uh, I mean, the harassment was really, really intense. Um, I mean, relatively speaking, I'm a small channel. Um, I had channels with millions of followers just uh, making these horrible bullying videos, essentially, of me um, and of Teddy. Um that were just uh, really, really hard on like a personal level for me to deal with. And this is like before, I mean, this was, there were not a lot of resources and not a lot of other people who understood what it felt like to be on the other side of that. Um, it was a really, really isolating experience and traumatizing experience. I was diagnosed with PTSD over the last year or so um, and have been kind of working through that. Uh, there was also a lack of resources. I moved and uh, lost my uh, the space where I used to shoot queer kid stuff. Um, so there were like a lot of things just kind of changing at that time. And so I stopped um, actively producing the series then. And I've over the last couple of years, I've been trying to kind of figure out how to breathe new life into the into the YouTube channel, how to continue making more content. Because when I and, and I'm saying when, when I bring queer kid stuff proper back, I want to do it right. I want to be resourced. I want to be able to hire a team of queer and trans people to create the series, you know, uh, where I can pay them adequately for their labor. I want to be able to really think through what that series and what those episodes are going to look like. I want to have animated segments. I want to do I want to do a real produced show. And um, that's going to take some time and it's going to take money. And there's a lot of prep that's involved in making that happen. So uh, everybody just, uh, you know, watch this space <laughs> for when that's happening. It's it's uh, it's coming up, certainly, but it's going to take a minute. So I switched to Rainbow Storytime, which is kind of the new um, weekly series that I've been doing. It's read alouds of existing LGBTQ plus picture books, either written by L queer or trans authors or about queer trans people um, uh, doing my best there. But it's been really great to be able to showcase um, the incredible library of queer and trans picture books that exists now that didn't exist when I started Queer Kid Stuff. Um, it's been a great way to kind of revitalize the channel and get people engaged again with the work. 
I mean, I'm also writing a picture. I wrote a picture book and that's going to be coming out. So, you know, some marketing strategy there, certainly. Um, but they're also just all really easy to produce on my end. Um, I don't need like a big production to be able to do it. I don't need a puppeteer. It's it's just a little bit lower budget than Queer Kid Stuff was. And that makes it a little bit easier for me to create on my end. Um, so I think something that I've been trying, uh, learning as a creator is, okay, how can I reconcile what I want to do with what I'm capable of doing. And Rainbow Storytime has kind of sat in a place that's been um, just a lot easier to make on my end, um, while I'm kind of getting my stuff together and figuring out how to make a real queer kid stuff happen. Because I didn't want to I didn't want to just do queer kid stuff, um, you know, shooting it in my like little office without a crew. Um, I really want to give that series my flagship series, the respect that I think it deserves with a full budget. I really like the story time, though. And I don't know if you're going to see them in, in down the road as two separate things. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> no, they're they're all connect. They're both connected to each other. It's just kind of like a a slightly more doable version of what I do um, without kind of like the full production of queer kid stuff um, while I'm putting that together. Lind, we brought it up earlier, but let's talk about it just a little bit further. You put out something recently and let's tell them about it. So let's start with you telling people when this show is over, what they should do right away. They can pick up a copy of my book, Rainbow Parenting, <laughs> your guide to raising queer kids and their allies. Um, there's just it's just a big brain dump for me. Um, it's not just a parenting book; it's really for anyone who has young people in their lives. So, parents, but also educators, also caregivers. Um, if you're an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, um, I, I really highly recommend it. Um, it really helps people, I think, strip down a lot of their stigma, like uh, beliefs and stigmas around queerness and transness and kids, and then gives you a lot of practical tools for creating a queer and gender affirming environment for young people, no matter whether or not they identify as LGBTQ plus or as allies. Um, so there's that. And then, um, and then just, you know, go to my web website, queerkidstuff.com, and you can figure out how you can uh, work with me, hopefully. I think it's fantastic that parents now have a book like this out there, and I'm thrilled that you wrote it. And remember, folks, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to try and keep this book out of the libraries, which means that is exactly the reason why you should read it. I think so. <laughs> I read somewhere you said that, I, and I may have the wording wrong, I think you said you wanted to be the queer Mr. Rogers. Yeah, that's definitely come up. <laughs> I think that that's more helpful for... um folks to understand kind of like who I am and what I do. I th I actually think it's probably more accurate to say that I'm like more of a, like a triangulation between Fred Rogers, Jim Henson, and Steve from Blue's Clues, but like the queer trans version. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know about Steve's gender identity, but the whole show itself was pretty damn gay, if you ask me. I loved Blue's I Clues. I think so. <laughs> I've had the opportunity to, to work with some of the Blue's Clues team on some um, on some work, and it's been fantastic. I consulted on the um, Blue's Clues and You Pride Parade video that came out a couple of years ago and went viral. That was really, it was been really fun to work with their team and be able to write for Blue's Clues. I mean, not the show proper, the digital content, but uh, I, I mean, I was a kid who like had my own handy dandy notebook book. <laughs> um, and uh, so that was uh, certainly a bucket list. 
That's awesome. And that's a great description. The three, the three combined together is perfect. And I will say your teddy is a lot cuter than those creepy puppets that Mr. Rogers used to have on his show. Oh, yeah. His puppets were a little funny looking. Yeah, they were kind of yeah. outdated and kind of creepy. But yeah, he, he, met, he was a great guy. He met well. Puppetry's come a long way since then. Oh, yes, it has. <laughs> yes, it has. Thank you, Jim Henson. Thank you, wherever you are. But I like it because it's, it's, it is so simple. I like it because you are sitting down, just sitting with a picture book and you're, mm-hmm. you're reading just like a parent reading their child and pointing yeah. things out. And you're not just reading, you're pointing exactly. things out in the pictures. And it was engrossing to me and I'm not a kid. Oh, good. I'm having a lot of fun doing them. And it's, it's really wonderful, wonderful to be able to like introduce people to this like wonderful library of LGBTQ plus picture books and really be able to like, give a platform to a lot of those authors. Um, I, the space is getting pretty crowded right now. And I want to be able to show people kind of like where to look for certain topics and what, I don't know, I personally deem to like be high quality and to be, I, I there's one picture book that I read um, a, uh, a friend wrote, um, Carly Maines, um, she wrote What's an Abortion Anyway? And it's a small, I, I think she independently self-publishes it. Um, it's a fantastic book. And it's one I haven't seen anything like it anywhere else. And uh, I, I'm just really proud that I can, you know, provide any kind of platform for books like that, that I think are really needed and are filling gaps. It's a really fun series to be able to do. And I'm about to bring it back. I don't know when this podcast is going to air. um, But I'm working on kind of a new season of um, weekly episodes of Rainbow Storytime. Um, uh, And I think I think people are gonna like the books that I've got um, on the on the docket for that. Been, it's been fun because I well because it's really cool because I've been able to do the video series publicly, but then I'm also doing um, this like session of Rainbow Story Times where I'm like on Zoom and doing weekly songs and stories with kids and families. So it's cool to be able to not only like do that for a public audience, but also to be able to do it for kids and families who want to like bring queer kids stuff in their home and want to hang out with me and Teddy and read some fun books and sing some songs. You kind of touched on it as far as wanting to have a staff and that sort of thing. But I'm going to ask you the job interview question here. Where do you want to see queer kid stuff 10 years from now? Ooh, 10 years from now. What's your empire plan? That's a great question. I mean, the thing, so I, I also work in um, mainstream children's media. I write and I consult for preschool television. And so that's kind of always been the dream. Um, getting my own show, getting a Teddy and Friends show where, um, you know, Sesame Street style. I mean, I have I have this pitch if anyone wants to make it where, you know, we're living as roommates and we're, you know, having, we have a community of people around us and we're exploring different topics and from a kid's lens. Um and, you know, it's I think that it would be pretty darn cool to have a queer trans lead for a preschool show. I want to be part of the solution. And that's I, I don't know if that's an empire vision, but like, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing and uh, not just like personally survive. I want to be thriving in it. And I want other people to be able to do this, too. And um, I think I'm me and my colleagues are at the forefront of a growing field. And I think that's really exciting. But we're certainly at a point where it's a little frustrating. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a growth. Growth is is the goal right now. Well, Linda, I agree. It does have to change on a massive schedule, sc- massive scale. 
but we can only deal with our little part of the world. And I think you're doing a damn good job dealing with yours. Thank you. I appreciate that. Keep it up. I like black and white in this world. Uh, Gray areas are difficult for me. They're not easy for me. So I'm going to take a walk through your background, uh, having watched your show. Your earliest episodes, it was in your, I think it was in your first season. You explained that you are a cis woman and you explained Mm -hmm. that you go by she, her. Then later you came out as non-binary and you changed to they, them. Those were your pronouns. And you did an excellent job explaining that to Teddy. And then was it last year that you came out as trans and I believe you had top surgery? Was it last year? Uh, yeah, it's been about a year and a half since I had top surgery. And uh, yeah, within the last two years or so, I've come out as trans for sure. Okay. So this has been explained to me before, but I want somebody to do it for me again, because I'm, I'm thinking if I have a challenge with this, then obviously a lot of straight people do, especially those that choose to stay closed-minded. Explain to me how someone can be trans and non-binary at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I came out as non-binary, yeah, during the show and was kind of figuring that out and then had this like little um, coming out arc that I wrote for myself, which is, uh, it's kind of cool that I was able to do that. It was very cute. Yeah, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad you liked it. Um, Not everybody gets to that part of the series. I really think that I had to kind of grapple with myself um, in the pandemic in lockdown. Um, We all, you know, spent a lot of time with ourselves. And I just like really took kind of like a hard look at myself at the time and started to kind of like unpack some of my internal biases, especially around transness. Um, I actually had a friend like kind of call me out, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a, a, a trans friend of mine, because um, I was talking about be, like identifying as non-binary, but not identifying as trans. And he was just kind of like, what? <laughs> um, and for sure, not every non-binary person identifies as trans, but many do. And um, I kind of had to grapple with some of my internalized transphobia around that. And um, I mean, it really came down to two things for me. One, the definition for the for being trans and being transgender is very simple. It's just someone who does not identify with the gender they were assigned at birth. I was assigned female as my gender at birth, but I have since realized that that is incorrect. That is not how I actually identify. Um, it's how I, it's the gender that I was assigned at birth, right? So. Simply the fact that I don't identify as female fulfills the definition of the word trans, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other kind of part of it for me was um, uh, how incredible the trans community is and how I really – once I started identifying as trans, I – really feel like I opened myself up to a community that I had been kind of like keeping an arm's length distance from to protect myself for whatever reason and for self-preservation. And um, once I kind of let that go, I became part of a community that is so vibrant and beautiful and has, has done so much for me in helping me understand myself and live more authentically. And that's kind of what got me down the road to getting top surgery, which is one of the best decisions I've ever made for myself in my entire life. And that doesn't mean that I like identify as a man or identify as male. I don't. I still identify as non-binary. Nothing about that has really changed. It's just kind of about for me personally, the way that I've started to align myself with the trans community and 
understand that to be the experience that I've had as a non-binary person. So yeah, like internally, I can't say that like anything necessarily changed when I identified as trans, started to identify as trans and like use that as a label. Um, I think that like, I don't think it came as like a surprise to anyone necessarily. I think it was more of like an internal thing for me. Um, I think people were like, you didn't identify as trans already. (laughs) Um, But then it just opened me up to options for helping me feel more authentic in my expression, getting top surgery and, and things like that. So, okay, I'm going to play somewhat of a devil's advocate here only because I have had my share of transphobia in the past. And I'm not going to say I'm ashamed of it because it was a growing experience for me, but it's certainly not something I'm proud of. I've come a long way, baby. But the, you have some episodes where you're explaining trans and you're explaining to Teddy that when a baby is born, that the doctor announces the baby's gender. And sometimes the doctor is wrong. Can you understand why some folks would like, wait, 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 wait a minute. They have a real issue with that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that that is that like initial like thing that happens, the gender assignment at birth. I mean, that's something that happens to all of us. And if the doctor is right, that's great. (laughs) But if the doctor is wrong, that sucks and is essentially the uh, a big part of like why there are these terrible statistics on LGBTQ plus youth suicide and unhoused um, unhoused rates um, uh, for people saying that they like might have an issue with um, me telling kids that doctors can be wrong. I mean, anyone can be wrong. Any adult can be wrong about anything. <laughs> humans are humans. No one is omnipotent or omniscient. Um People make mistakes. Doctors make mistakes plenty. I mean, that's what malpractice is. Um, I mean, this is essentially, you know, that. And I and I'm not saying that children shouldn't trust doctors to an extent. I think that, you know, they are medical professionals and and especially, you know, if we're talking about gender affirming care, um, it's really important that, you know, you know, we're doing that in a way that's supervised and intentional and purposeful and informed. Um you know, no doctor is the same just as any no one person in any other profession is the same or has the same capabilities of doing that. And gender assignment at birth is a thing in our society that is is just how (laughs) things function. Um, And I think that it's important to give kids, young people, the let them know that, you know, that's not definitive. What someone tells you you are is not definitive. You might align with that gender that you were assigned at birth and you might not. And both of those things are okay. And you can make that decision and come to that understanding for yourself outside of what someone else has told you. Because I mean, I think that this is kind of what I point to is that like, you know, all of us have gender, (laughs) Mm -hmm. unless you identify as agender and like specifically don't have a connection to gender. Most of us have some sort of gender identity. Mm -hmm. And that's true if you're cisgender or if you're transgender or if you're non-binary or you're agender, etc. So I think that it's really important that like that's true for cisgender folks too, right? Of like understanding like, okay, why if I'm a cisgender woman, why do I identify that way? Is it because someone told me I should identify that way? And that's just how I've 
been taught to live my life? Or is that something that I have come to understand about myself, regardless of what someone has told us, right? So it's all it's saying that like a doctor is wrong is more about is less about that doctor, Mm -hmm. and a lot more about giving kids agency to say, that person wasn't right about me, and I can make decisions for myself. Oh, I love that last line. That was very well said. Yeah, we are visual people. And Mm -hmm. You know, if you go by the old school, it was easy. You look as a boy, you look as a girl. Plain, end of story. There's no further discussion that needs to be had. Yeah. Now we're in a, in a world where that's not the truth anymore. And there's a difference to me between transphobia and not getting it. Mm-hmm. And I really can understand why people don't get it yet. And it's going to take a while. Do you? Sure. Yeah. What's the word? I'm, I'm try- I think sometimes we need to be easier on people. I've had people, I've used the wrong pronouns before. The first time I've met somebody and been screamed at by their friends. Don't you know that they go by they, them? And I'm like, no, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I was, you know, I did a whole video on using they, them. And I will tell you, I got my share of backlash for it because I told people they need to respect it. But I also admit it, I get it wrong sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think that every, I mean, I I work with kids, right? (laughs) Um, I make stuff for kids. It's all about being welcoming and accessible and warm and making sure that I'm meeting, you know, young people at their level. And, you know, I think a realization that I've come to recently, especially in like the work that I've been doing with adults and with parents in particular, is that most of us are like kind of at a toddler level of understanding about gender and sexuality anyways, just because of like how our society functions. And I think we, in order to make progress, you know, we, we have to we have to lift the baseline, right? Like the level of understanding just like across the board is so, so low. And that's why we're having so many issues. Mm-hmm. And I think that people really get in, uh, there's part of it where like people really get into their own heads of like, I can't make a mistake. Like I can't, like, you know, cause more harm. And like, I think the harm that's being caused is that people aren't trying. And I, I know that like, we need to set a high bar for like, where people should be at and like i think that that's important too and like and and having higher expectations for people but i also think like the barrier to entry needs to be like like easier for people to just try and i think like you know get wrapping your head around gender neutral pronouns and neo pronouns like it takes time it does take some rewiring we've been in a binary gendered society for most of our lives and that's how we have grown up and how we've understood how we walk through our lives day to day and that it takes it takes a minute it takes a minute it does um and i think like you know there's a difference between someone who's on kind of like a journey of understanding versus someone who's kind of arrived toward the end of their journey. And those two people, um, there's, it's, it's sometimes hard to recognize where someone's at in their understanding. And I really think that like, you can't compare where you are on your journey with someone else because We all have to take that journey because of the world that we live in. And just a little bit of patience, I think, goes a long way. And we all don't start from the same place. 
Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like, uh, does that mean that, like, there's harm being done, especially to, like, transgender women and BIPOC trans women and trans femmes? Like, 100%. And, like, we need to get to a place where that's not true anymore. Um, but I, I really think just... <sighs> incremental change <laughs> and we got it we got it there's there's got to be a mechanism for getting to that place where that's not a problem anymore and um i don't think that that's necessarily going to be a smooth or easy journey and um we just we just got to get more people on the boat you know so tell us about your tours because i know you don't just do the youtube series and you, of course you've got your books book this out and a new one coming up but what you do tours as well yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just came off of a big pride tour. I went to seven different cities. I was doing tons and tons of events. Um, but throughout the year, not just during pride, I also go and do events all over the country. I go to schools and libraries and community organizations, lots of different places. And I do family performances. I also do adult book talks. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, connecting with families through the web series, but also directly in person and virtually. So I do a lot of I do a lot of this work all over the place. It's really fun. Linz, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. And thank you so much for all you're doing. Of course. Thanks for having me. 